You are listening to Go Full Crypto. I'm your host, Rogopshi Palway. This podcast is your best resource for crypto stories in the form of discussions and interviews. We uncomplexify tech jargon and we like to keep it simple. My co-host, Keegan Francis and I, we're here to empower you with the knowledge you need to confidently navigate your way into the world of crypto. Join us as we embark on the journey of driving the adoption of cryptocurrency. Join us in going full crypto. The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and the guests interviewed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are solely their own. At no point in time should the topics of discussion be construed or taken as investment advice. Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and their guests on this podcast will not be held accountable for any losses. The content discussed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are intended to be for informational purposes only. Welcome to episode 14 of the GoFull Crypto podcast. In this episode, we interview Alicia, a seasoned entrepreneur when it comes to the payments industry space. Her career is so interesting, as you will continue to listen to in the episode, and her opinion on cryptocurrency is really quite fascinating as well. We had an amazing time learning from her. There's definitely a wealth of knowledge in this particular episode. I know I'm going to have to listen to it at least twice to grasp all of it. So hope you enjoy. There's definitely tons to learn from it. And um, without further ado, let's begin. Hello and welcome, Alicia. How are you doing today? I'm great. I enjoy sitting with you and uh, having this opportunity to learn more about what you are doing. Oh, fantastic. Well, in this episode of the GoFull Crypto Podcast, we're going to learn more about you start to start with, and then we can have a conversation about how you're, you landed up in fintech <laughs> and the payments industry. So why don't we begin with that? What's your background? Oh, that's an interesting story. Um, my first uh, dream about what I want to be when I was in high school was to be an archaeologist. An archaeologist? Yes. Wow, okay. Archaeologist. And I was really passionate about it. Uh, I was already in my last year of high school when I saw a computer. It was like, changed my life. <laughs> Suddenly I see that box and I say, and the games were like pixels, all right? Uh, but I saw them like like real characters. And uh, for me, it was like, wow, you can do that, like simulate things and play and things happen in that small screen. And it really changed completely my perspective of what I want to do. And uh, I decided to learn the computer science. So Fantastic. I started actually from software, not from uh, business. Uh, but I didn't have any uh, in really interesting coding, although I learned uh, software, of course, and languages. Uh, one of the first languages I learned back then was assembly, of course, and the uh, Pascal. Nice. Uh, but I, I did C and operating system, but I really didn't have patience to sit and code. Uh, so very, very fast, I went into marketing and the business was almost immediately, automatically. I never ever work in any in any coding role. Uh, so when I started with the marketing of personal computers, it was the times of the XT and AT, you know, way before your time, guys. <laughs> uh, and also some uh, technical work, like even uh, 
building the computers uh, with the different pieces when back then. Uh, I also recognized when the 90s started and all these technology companies became more and more known because you had from the 70s or even before technology companies, of course, in software. But in the 90s, it became much more known that the entrepreneurs or, or someone with an invention, it wasn't exactly called an entrepreneur back then, but it was like a, a, someone that they had a good a, a scientist or, or an invention could build a company around it and they, and become very successful. I got more and more involved in that. I wanted to know more. I, it really grabs me in. And when I was working in a completely traditional industry, nothing to do with computers, it was, say, for manufacturing, for textile industries in the U.S., completely unrelated, a, a, a young person that was in the company came to me and said, and I'm talking about 95, okay, four or five and this young company comes to me and a young person comes to me and say I heard that there is a way to make money if you do advertising on the internet oh. and I said what <laughs> I had already an internet connection dial up with a modem very very slow modem and I was mostly going into this Mosaic was the type of browser and the, you could only find mostly things that were academic related and some, you know, uh, chat rooms or things like that, but it was very, very limited. Uh, especially because of the dial-up also, it's not that you could have heavy websites, especially for marketing or sales. And this person comes to me and says, you can make money from advertising, inter- nothing connected, like... <laughs> I was like completely clueless what they were talking about. Didn't do anything with it, of course. But in get, got involved with the entrepreneurship uh, education, and then I studied my master's degree in entrepreneurship from a university, technology university. And while I was doing it, I got I got actually involved in my first startup that ninety nine nineteen ninety nine. We launched a startup that was all about internet advertising. <laughs> uh, it was just four years later. It was so clear that that has really value in our mind, of course. Uh, and we were very clear that, oh, yes, we have a great opportunity. Ran for two years. We had the already installations, computers. It was a client, not the web service. Of course, still a lot of dial-up back then. Uh, and then 2001 came. You know, disaster all over the world, the stock markets uh, in April went down and we, with them, our advertising dollars were completely cut to zero. Uh, but we said, okay, a few months and things will come back normal. Um, then another disaster, of course, September 11, and the and internet died. Like, it was no internet anymore. Everybody, all the investors, everybody was saying, Forget about the internet. It was not real. There will not be uh, money from advertising on the internet. Oh. Uh, all these eyeballs and inventions you did, guys, are you completely nuts? You took all this money and like blew up everything. This was a billions when billions when uh, really deleted over a year and and companies, uh, you know, they they really disappeared. 
with a lot of cash in, the, in their banks that they disappeared. And well, after September and everybody saying that it was just a dream and we didn't understand what we were talking about, we closed the company. Uh, but uh, I stayed in the tech industry back then. So by the beginning of 2000, 2001, I joined uh, one of the largest, uh, uh, back then was the largest, the casino on the internet, that is called 888. Oh. It's a very well-known one as their payment person. Okay. Casino. Yeah, online casino was the largest one in the world. So just to understand, you had just come out of your previous company, which yes. was on internet advertising, yeah. and everyone was talking about how the internet was dead. Yes. And then the next company... No, it's not my company. I okay. joined a very large company that existed already from the 90s. Okay. And was not based on advertising dollars, <laughs> but pay, 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 of course paying clients. Right. Uh, 888 was, is the name till today. It's a very known one. It's a public company in the UK. Uh, back then it was not a public company yet. Uh, and as the payment person to develop uh, alternative payment methods around the world, the payment systems were completely broken. You couldn't <laughs> connect anything to anything. It's not like today even they are not yet so developed if you think about it. But back then was really connecting like uh, the dots in every country, every place you needed to have special connectivity to the local payment systems. Uh, credit cards didn't really work very well internationally. Most uh, processors would uh, reject an international card uh, if you try to pay with a, with a credit card that is not from the country. So uh, my role was then find the alternative payment methods in different countries that were of interest and connect the right uh, payment methods with the system. This required back then a lot of intermediary systems to get to that solution. It wasn't just about the you know business agreements. So to say, oh, please provide me your payment method. The payment method was local. They couldn't serve international company. Everything was uh, very limited. Uh, and that included countries like uh, China, India, by the way. In Europe, uh, countries like uh, UK or Germany that had their own systems and as well the US. Um, for the last two years there, in 2000, until 2006 that they went public, uh, I developed a special system for payments in the US that included the 50,000 point of sales, connecting them for cash payments to online purchases. It was called Print and Pay and it was uh, the pilot was launched with a a large company back then called the Pre-Solutions that was acquired later. And uh, we even had an agreement with RadioShack that was a large uh, network back then. They, they were everywhere. Anyone knew where is the nearest uh, RadioShack for them. So in 2006, when the company went public, they discontinued all the activities in the US. They, I'm talking, of course, about date date. When they discontinued the, all the activities in the US, all my my project that was actually the print and pay project, the, the payments of course discontinued, uh, and I move on to again launch a startup. Nice. Because of the last five years from two thousand one, I was all the time in payments and systems. I I was all the time feeling that you know gap that exists in the systems that 
you cannot really use your money in the bank account in the right way. So we, together with the partner, we launched a system for banking payments, real-time banking payments from bank accounts in any social environment, like a web or other environments that you want to pay without using cards in the middle and without having these intermediaries. So we had a banking system. We started developing the, since 2007 when we launched the company. Of course, raised money, worked for many years. The company existed till 2015, uh, 2010, no, sorry, 2015, <laughs> 2015 for eight years uh, and merged with an American company. And after the merger, I joined another payment company also, the partner where we developed acquiring system. These times the gap that we were trying to solve was processors or acquirers that are actually providing you the ability to receive a credit card were only for direct merchants one-to-one, but they didn't have a system to manage, for example, marketplaces, the ones that are aggregators in the middle and need to split payments between a lot of sellers, etc. So we created a system for complex payment models, that's what it was called, uh, and uh, it was launched with one of the largest payment processors in the US as a white label, and it's, of course, running till today. Uh, in 2018, I moved here. And after I moved here, uh, I engaged with the local industry. I didn't know that there is a fintech industry in Atlantic Canada. I didn't came for the companies, the local companies. I continued with my activities anyway. It was more for the quality of life and education of my kids, etc. But the moment I started to engage with the local founders more and more, the more became clear that there is a, a vibrant and very technology-driven fintech industry in Atlantic Canada. Companies that are a, doing very well with technologies they develop with clients, sometimes even a global clients, but it's not recognized as a sector. No one is looking, not, not, not to no one, but back then it was very hard to find someone saying fintech industry in Atlantic Canada. Today you will hear more about it, but it wasn't really recognized as a sector, although I was seeing of them more and more and more. Every time I talked to, to founders, eh, I was hearing more about, this is a fintech company and they have already clients and, they, and the technology they developed is so good. Why there is no recognition of what is going on with the fintech industry? So that's the reason I became involved here in Atlantic Canada with fintech industry. Uh, not only because of my, my own background in fintech, I didn't try to invent an industry that doesn't exist or say, let's develop an industry. It was because I found that it exists and the companies are really uh, very good on recognizing needs, developing relevant solutions and finding the way to the industry. Uh, but the lack of recognition is uh, actually keeping them uh, in a certain uh, limitations that they shouldn't have. Uh, because with the lack of recognition comes the lack of connectivity, the lack of visibility. So, so they need each one of them, one by one, find their own ways to get into other markets, uh, into other ecosystems, into the right industries, into the right distribution channels, uh, investors, everything. 
it's not a, a growth pattern. It's not something that is replicated around the companies because everybody recognizes the sector. So the, the information and the knowledge flows and others are learning from it and you have role models. It's, it's everyone on its own. So you learn it again and again and again. It's not very scalable. That's, so. that's really fantastic. I love your background and how your trajectory kind of came, went from, well, starting with archaeology, <laughs> you went into computer science um, because you love technology. You were fascinated with looking at the big block, big box um, when you were younger and then went into marketing and advertising. You worked in marketing and advertising um, right around the time the dot-com crash happened. Um, and then that's when you started your journey into the payments industry. So from what I hear, it's safe to say that you basically know everything about <laughs> the payment industry from the back end, whatever happens um, in from the merchant side, um, also to the front end, whatever happens in the client side. One thing that you said about when you worked at the casino uh, company, the 888, yeah. um, you said that in the UK, you could only use a credit card if you were uh, local to UK. I have a question on that. Did you ever face censorship? Could you still purchase, um, you know, whatever on this website since it was, well, I'm assuming it was a gambling website? Well, it doesn't exactly issue of the UK, the question of paying locally or not. In right. general, in the 90s, uh, beginning of the 2000s, Credit cards we did not work very well cross border. Right, they were systems trying to solve it or processors providing like global services, but it wasn't very connected. Uh, the networks like a uh, Mastercard and Visa could work internationally, but when you use it online, they were much more cautious on the risk of the code of the transaction, etc. So uh, they will stop transactions that come from cross-border, when it's a web buying of something digital, like if you are not buying a product and they cannot charge you the day they are delivering the product, you know? So the, the, the limitations behind cross-border cross was you could use credit cards, sometimes it worked that it's good, but other than credit card, debit cards, for example, that you see till today, it's not that something so far away, but Back then, of course, impossible. And they, you couldn't connect to gateways that work locally to get that service, even if you are international. Uh, those gateways or ways to aggregate systems or alternative payments from all around the world were exactly what we were developing on our own back then for the company and not for the general industry. So that's the reason when I came out there is that I was thinking we need something that any company can use. Mm -hmm. uh, PayPal was already very successful when I, I opened my company, but PayPal was like an alternative to all the traditional system and disrupting them. They, they were not, although they still did a lot of business for credit cards, they weren't a huge intermediary. The banks became like a backend and not so well in the in the food chain, mm -hmm. like PayPal. So our idea back then was let's connect directly to the bank accounts, something that doesn't happen till even today, if you think about it. Oh uh, yeah, although there's like, always a third party yeah. that connects the bank payment to the other bank. Yeah. So yeah, you can today in Canada use Interact that is direct. But what happened if you are in the US and you want to pay? from your bank account in Canada, 
for a purchase. So it's not exactly the world is not connected the way I was dreaming in the beginning <laughs> of 2006, but uh, I think it's going in. But the, the payment industry is really not yet where it's supposed to be. Well, uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> and have, while you say that, you talked about changing um, cross-border payments. You wanted to impact how that wasn't available. It wasn't yeah. a service that existed. Um, you talked also about the censorship between being able to accept payments via different methods. And you also talked about direct transfer. So if back then, if I wanted to send you money, it, there was just a really roundabout way of doing yeah. so. So when you started looking into cryptocurrency, um, how did what cryptocurrency enables impact what you were already doing? Well, cryptocurrency, of course, uh, when I started, was not what it is today. But also, even today, uh, the huge issue with the cryptocurrency in terms of payment industry, I'm not talking about the uh, asset technology or how it works, in the payments industry, the, the, the most significant issue is the last mile, meaning even if the in, in system itself is efficient and you have the best networks say, that came after uh, Bitcoin, for example, that uh, are faster and uh, more efficient and they don't take all the memory of your computer with the, you know, the blocks or, or even have timestamp and the smart contracts, anything you want, at the end, the last mile is always how you generated your money, that is actually you got from your payroll or whatever in your local currency, in your local bank account, and how the other party needs that money for paying for their own uh, groceries or rent or whatever, that is always from the local currency from their bank account. So the last mile is what ma it's making it disconnected, the, the, the blockchain or, or the let's say distributed ledger technologies, you know, in, in general with all the cryptocurrencies that are around there. It's not about only exchanging between the currencies or buying a currency. It's, it's about the flow that should be seamless between I work, I get my money, I get paid, I generated my value, and now I want it to flow through this network to buy some product or have some access to something. And the other party wants to feel the same. They want to be paid, they want to eat instantly, they want it secure, they want to not need to trust me personally, etc. But they want it immediately to be available for their other costs. So those single points of the, the end of the networks in both sides is what is keeping it yet from being a real player in the payment industry where it can compete with everything because it could raise large companies that are in payment if that last mile was uh, already solved. I think what you're talking about is interoperability mm -hmm. because all of these payment networks <laughs> and all these currencies are essentially operating parallel and there's yes. no connectivity between them. And that's essentially what these technology companies and these fintech companies are stitching together. Just one stitch here, one yes. stitch there. And exactly. so then you have to have the know-how to go from the US dollar into Bitcoin, then into Bitcoin, into something else, for example, and then maybe back yeah. into the US dollar on the other side. Yeah. And 
Yeah, that seems like that's been the problem for the last 20 years, uh, <laughs> even aside from cryptocurrency. Oh, so no, absolutely. Yeah. Cryptocurrency still hasn't solved that problem of uh, me, the merchant, getting the currency I want and you, the customer, getting the currency that you are paying in the currency that you want to pay in. And yeah, I, th I think that just we chop that up to interoperability. Oh, yeah. Interoperability also, it's a, it's a question of timing, okay? meaning when the credit card started, uh, the large networks were solving an issue of paying, a, not for the internet, of course, in, this, in just a shop in the street without going with your, you know, all your cash with you and yet getting to the cash that you have in your, uh, you know, in your account. Uh, so that allows them to connect to all the banks without any questions about why I would work with you or uh, should I let you do, or should I have my own card and you have your own card. They wanted the access to the, the that device that will be in the store and let people play, pay with their bank account from that card. And of course, the credit was given then by the networks, but not always. Sometimes it's, of course, the debit they later came as real-time, but near real-time. Uh, today, if you want to launch a new system, network, that is completely separated from MasterCard Visa or uh, American Express, etc., and that come to the bank and say, hey, I need to connect to you because I want to launch my new card, they will tell you, you have enough networks connected around the world you connect to them. We will not open again all our systems to put your 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 server there with the debit network inside or credit network inside our systems. We are connected already to so many. Use one. So the problem is when the, the, the industry is moving forward and you want now to connect something new, the, the industry expects you to do that without bothering them, <laughs> if you say it. So... Exactly. So if you can do it seamless, great. Once you have enough a volume or are big enough, they will collaborate with you. They mm -hmm. will let you work with them. They will connect you in some way. So there are today networks that are trying to aggregate all these banks. Like a, just to give an example, Finestra is a large uh, platform with uh, APIs. You can connect to thousands of banks around the world. Uh, and they have a lot of APIs for, you know, instructions or information, or you need, of course, to get authorization to, to connect in certain ways, but you have a lot of aggregator of APIs, of connectivity. Visa acquired the for billions of dollars not long ago, a company that all their essence was integration in any type of uh, a payment, you know, uh, banks, etc. So they have a lot of integrations, Visa came and said, this really complements our vision of not only the credit network, but also connectivity directly into the bank accounts. Or they acquired Earthport, that was a system for international transfers, again, account to account. So everybody is trying to run, to have their own network connected to everything, all the banks, and have a system that can work with every bank account of any person in every corner of the world. Uh, but it's even for companies like MasterCard and Visa, it's a huge undertaking. Yeah. It's, it's not easy. It's not instant. Well, what I'm hearing is that every new technology is trying to patch 
something on top of what already exists to yeah. make it run smoother or to make it more efficient. But I, I feel like the problem lies more in the root cause, which is the technology, technology used to build payment networks mm -hmm. is from the 2000s yeah. and it's archaic. And from your experience, what is being done to switch that archaic technology to something that is new and something that is faster and more efficient? Well, you, you have been very generous calling it from the 2000s. <laughs> uh, it's actually more than 40 years ago for many of these networks. Okay. <laughs> well, I got my numbers wrong, but they're using 40-year-old technology yes, absolutely. to make payments happen. Yes. <laughs> so, well, you know, earlier we alluded to the fact that change is expensive, but here the expenses are being um, uh, taken up by all the users because just the, the industry where it collects fees in order to make transactions happen, that entire industry yes. is more than a billion dollars. Yes. Um, and we are paying the change we're paying for the lack of change that the payments industry is not ready to implement what is your opinion on that well i think that disruption can exist like disrupting completely these networks that are trying as you said to patch everything and at the end also they for example western union and others have acquired the blockchain technology or the dlt technology uh, to put in the middle between those connectivities uh, and try to but the, the true or best scenario would be disruption where you can replace all the system with a distributed system. Yeah. But again, the only way to do it is in a way and in an intelligent way. Someone managed to connect the source of the money, the source of the, of the value generated by every person into the system without undergoing from the bank account. So if you think about it, uh, you have today, for example, uh, prepaid cards, okay, or or, or uh, reloadable cards for, for payment, like credit cards that are not connected to a bank account. If, a, if the systems manage to offer a way for, for, like, you could call it a new bank account method or a new bank account system that is on the way a value, a, a wallet where you can put the value, but doesn't pass, it's not where you buy the, the cryptocurrency, but where you get directly the value you generated from your work, business, etc., And that account has already all the type of currencies you would like to use. That is the local regular currency of the country, but also the rest of the main cryptocurrencies. And you don't need to go out of it to buy cryptocurrency in order to be able to use it. The moment something disruptive like that is available for the general public without any learning curve that they don't need now to start learning how to, you know, get a private key, public key, or they don't need to, they, it's just what they already know. What they know, open a bank account. They, they know that, and they know even normally how to open an online bank account online. So if things are translated to the, what the person already knows, and that replaces the regular or standard system, by giving them an additional value they don't have today. And the value cannot be access cryptocurrencies. The value needs to be, as you say, for example, a transfer around the world instantly without any risk, etc. But 
because that person needs it. Otherwise, why are you offering me that? I'm only buying my local grocery store and uh, and pay for my kids, uh, you know, uh, park, uh, I don't know, entertainment or whatever. Never paid something international. I never sent. You're losing that person. But if you can offer a system that is seamless, doesn't require learning curve, and connect the way that person is generating money, not after they have the money in bank account, you lost them. Yeah. The way they are generating money goes directly to that instrument. And from that instrument, they can continue the regular life they have. But in addition, they have access to that global systems that work through cryptocurrency. You are disrupting the system. All time that the system itself still is self-contained, like the, the cryptocurrencies are self-contained in their own systems, and don't talk to the regular people on the point where they get their money generated. Yeah. This will continue to be a struggle because it's, it's, it's they're requiring too much effort from the regular person. Sounds like the technology is moving faster than the people are willing to adopt it <laughs> and faster than the people can funnel their money into the new systems. Yeah. Like cash was king in the 50s and 60s and up till the 80s and 90s. And then we have these massive credit systems, massive amounts of value and wealth put into our credit systems. And now we're transitioning into abstract money. And that's well, purely uh, digital and crypto and Cash didn't, uh, didn't, die. didn't die even today. Right, yeah. it's still here. Yes, and it's not maybe king, but it has been very strong uh, almost uh, till today. Uh, it takes decades and decades and decades to change a person, you know, the, the way they work, the way they... The way they, they think. The way they even um, shop or use their money or uh, the activities they do. Everything, it's it's decades. It's not a, a you know, a just, okay, I teach you how to do this and now you're suddenly using that system. No, but there is something good uh, coming in way that with cash and credit cards, physical ones, you need to change the way people work, but with interfaces, inter in, internet, especially electronic interfaces like the online bank account or applications in your mobile. You don't need to change the way that people work. You need to change what is connected to it. So if you manage to replace with the same user experience without doing any additional effort other than choosing, but you don't change the, the behavior of the person, it, that is the only way you are, can overcome those decades of change because it's a generational change. Mm -hmm. You need a new generation that didn't grow up in that system to have a new system. Mm -hmm. That's the reason cash was so hard because you had a generation, generations and generations and generations of cash. Credit came, but that generation of cash was still giving cash to the new generation that even that were using credit still have the cash as well. Right. Yeah. So it was very hard to overcome. Now you have a new generation that prefer the electronic interfaces, that prefer the mobile interfaces. Yeah, it just makes sense to them. When I'm speaking to my yeah. grandmother, she's extremely uncomfortable <laughs> with even logging onto her online bank account and seeing the numbers on the screen. When, when she wants to do just even a simple okay. transfer to her grandchildren, she'll go to the bank to do it. She yes. won't log on to her online interface. And that's, for us, 
that's weird. That's really, really yeah. quite strange. And I, the one thing I latched onto is that uh, the young people, they, they grew up with the digital technology. Yeah. It's just like, okay, that's the normal thing. Yeah. Why are you still using this clunky, physical, exactly. like real tangible, yeah. holding holdable cash? So they will transition to new type of accounts or systems that provide them value. It, if, and because that's actually the, what counts, if the source of their money or their value is directly created there. Mm-hmm. So in their bank accounts today, when they open a bank account, why they open a bank account? Because someone needs to deposit money for them. They will not even do that if they could avoid it. True. <laughs> if, you're, if your job, parents, or whatever, were paying for all your needs without passing through your own bank account, you would do it. You don't need really something in the middle. You could uh, say any money that comes to me, distribute it this way. Yeah. You know, distribute it to savings, distribute it to rent. It's, it's rules. It's not a bank account. You don't need a bank account in the middle, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, everything could be just programmatic and, and going to the right uh, direction. The reason you have a bank account is because the only way to do all that is that you need a, a, a deposit in the middle, a depository, a repository in the middle, yeah. where you, need, you can give those instructions. Everything is code at the end. It's only numbers. It's not really money there. So the same code could be in a kind of wallet that is con- already connected with all the cryptocurrency systems. But you need that that deposit is going into your system from the places you are creating the money. doesn't matter if it's parent or a job or a grant or anything you get. So that is the only reason people actually open accounts. Yes, you have those that like technology so much that they do it for testing new currencies or those that want to, to try their luck and maybe, you know, get money from it. Uh, but that's not the mainstream. For, for getting something into the mainstream, it needs to be connected to the source of the funds or, or the source of the value. So earlier you alluded to how the last mile requires some amount of um, innovation or stitching, but it also sounds like the first mile (laughs) requires some amount of uh, marketing and improvement because someone would need to have to create, say, something to do with cryptocurrency to accept cryptocurrency. That That was how they were getting paid. Um, and then the last mile is, of yeah. course, well, once they do get paid in crypto, any kind of crypto, are they going to be able to buy groceries with it that very same yes. day? I mean, it's all well and good that uh, whatever cryptocurrency enables, censorship resistance, faster payments, cheaper fees, all of that is well and good. But at the end of the day, yeah. if you still have to purchase your groceries, you have to pay the bills in fiat money, then that is a barrier. But what will happen? If think about this scenario, because it's there, it's already, if you look at the patents that are being filed and, and also additional regulation that are being required by the banks, what will happen when a large bank, like a, you know, a city or HSBC or any international large bank, start accepting deposits in cryptocurrency? Well, that's, that's actually become the yeah. case in the United States. Yeah. They just passed a bill exactly. that is allowing them to become crypto custodians. Yes. And, 
Exactly. That's we, that was the point. Yeah. The uh, the ripple effect from <laughs> that hasn't. It's it's a slow ripple effect, obviously, right? It's not just going to be like okay, one day the bill comes out and the next day everything changes. It's it's the start of something new. It's that first mile that we were talking about. But that about. that could be much faster uh, if they open the ship. If they really open that. Uh, it, it can be a day change. Why? Think about a, a foreign currency that you receive today. Any foreign currency that is tradable. There are a few countries that they cannot do it, but let's say that you receive now a transfer from a foreign country. It goes into your account. The bank knows what to do, okay? The bank knows, or you have a separate account for that currency, or it transfer the, the, to the local currency and put it in your account, less the fees, mm-hmm. right? Expensive fees, but they do it, right? So you are not afraid if someone needs to send you foreign money to get it into your regular bank account because banks have already all the systems to transfer any currency to any other currency, make a currency conversion, deposit it into your account in your regular currency and make all the balance calculations between banks around the world. This is already there. Right. So the only reason you are not getting your cryptocurrency into your regular bank account is because that was is in preparation. And when I said dumb regulation changes or patents, I was talking, of course, about that as one of the examples. There are others. But the moment they have that arranged, not only uh, regulatory, but system-wise too. You can absolutely can wake up one day with announcement that these and these and these currencies can be now paid directly to your bank account in the US. It's a, it's something that uh, requires certain arrangement yet, systemic as well, not only regulatory. Uh, the bank is not ready yet to do that. But if they solve, and maybe they are been solving it for years already and just a part of the regular innovation plans, etc. So the moment they are ready, connected to, to the networks and they have this, the accounting systems because they in the accounting systems in the bank also adopted. Now it's not just connected. Uh, they can announce it. Now it works. Mm-hmm. You you don't know if that could could really change completely the industry. The moment that something like that can happen may make cryptocurrencies mainstream. It's not a it doesn't require the the long term change technological change we were talking about with a new bank with a, but it opens not only for the regular large banks a new opportunity. It opens a, a opportunity for fintechs. Because if you think about it, if a new fintech today, uh, after this regulation change, offers a new online banking system for the other banks that are not the largest, that cannot innovate for themselves, a new type of online bank account that will not only connect to the regular internal systems of the bank, but also to the cryptocurrencies for depository activities and has already all the systems in there for reconciliation and accounting, etc. They can help a lot of the large, smaller banks or medium banks that are thousands of them in the US to become ready the same as the larger banks like Bank of America, US Bank, Wells Fargo, etc. that will do it on their own. Mm-hmm. 
So this is also opportunities for new cryptocurrency fintechs to connect the, the dots between the banks depositing cryptocurrencies and they as new fintechs to solve the problem for the smaller banks. So the fintechs can here really capitalize on this uh, new regulation. It's not only about the banks can capitalize it. It's everybody. The moment that connect the dots for the for depository instruments or for the bank account, everybody in the network or new fintech that come for that purpose can be part of that uh, disruption. Well, what that sounds like to me is if I was to draw a reference from when the internet came about and then there were applications on the internet, for mm-hmm. example, um, their Gmail was invented and uh, there was Yahoo and AOL, just a way to send electronic mail. Before that was the case, we had the post office. And if you wanted to send yeah. um, send a letter to anyone, you needed to write it on a piece of paper, put it in an envelope, put a stamp based on how far it needed to go, and then send it to the post yeah. office. And it would take days to get there, depending on, again, where it was. And then there were, there were new startups around the time when the internet started reaching critical mass and it allowed for people to send electronic mail. Yeah. And what it so- if we were to take that example, the post office didn't have their own email client. They stayed, they s- stuck to whatever they allowed, that is sending physical um, mail to different places. And then there were newer companies that came up with better solutions to mm-hmm. serve the same purpose. So with respect to the banks allowing for being custodians of cryptocurrency um, and there being new fintech startups that um, enable some more things that the banks can make use of in order to allow um, this better payments network on top of it, it almost sounds like uh, if we were to take the post office example, it's just better to have a different system, like a new kind yeah. of bank that allows for faster payments yeah. um, instead of the bank wanting to do everything. Yeah. Um, well, the novel banks, that is like the new technology banks that are developed and launched only on digital, like it's only mobile bank or only online bank, but mobile bank. Normally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this comes from the perspective of a better bank that you don't need to rely on the regular. But in the balance of payments, still the traditional banks own most of the deposits in each country, especially in the US, but also in other places. For the new banks to succeed, they need to offer a lot of value to the new generation that is not existing in the regular bank accounts. So I believe that there will be a transitional moment where the banks, like the larger banks, etc., will also allow the capability of deposit and payments through the cryptocurrency. It will help accelerate cryptocurrency as in the mainstream. But the newer banks that are coming with additional value will be parallel to those, the traditional banks, until they can really past that day line. They will not come at one day and replace them. Because as difference from the post office, the banks have had around 20 years to transition to electronic interfaces. And online banking is like a standard that no bank exists without it. Uh, 
The moment they have all the electronic interfaces, they are not as agile as a new bank coming only with electronic interfaces, but they have most of the money in them. So it will be a transition time unless the banks move faster in terms of the solutions. I don't see that happening. Uh, the weight of that money in the banks is what making them stay in the middle all the time. The moment the value is generated more electronically, and it is, it's already generated electronically, but people don't perceive it so much. But the moment the value that is already uh, developed electronically by people under salaries or payments from business or whatever, is transitioned seamlessly to any instrument and account unless going through physical places for that, the more the banks will be uh, disrupted. Mm -hmm. So it's a perspective change, if you think about it. It's like accounting. I don't know how much you have done with the, your accountings, but think about it. Uh, there is no real reason of accounting today to, to look the way it looks. Yeah. You, it's like using assembly language for, for development. <laughs> uh, you could have been get rid of all that with an electronic system that automatically reconciles all your income and payments with automatic calculation of all your taxes every time you pay, every time you get paid, because it's just messages of electronic nature. And you shouldn't have to have a, you know, an annual statement or all these, uh, uh, you know, uh, books that you need to, to keep for your cost and, and your receipts and everything. In, it's just electronic system, uh, messages that if it was reconciled as a business, any person, also as an individual, you shouldn't be thinking about it. It should—it just happens, you know. But because of the perception we have about what is money, how it's received, when you have it and when you don't, and also of the governments of how I should be reported and when I can, the technology itself have not closed the gap and didn't connect everything like the point of sales and this and the payroll systems and my credit card and everything to make it completely seamless. I, I shouldn't be even thinking about it. The, the money I have available for, for payments should be the net value of mm -hmm. whatever I'm doing all the time, like reconciled. So the same happened with money. Money is cold and it's electronic completely all the time. You can go and take cash from the ATM, but at that, until that moment, it's only cold. And it should be very simple to replace any source of money and the way you deposit it. Are you depositing really? You are just calculating it. You are just recording it. You're not depositing anything. Right. People, people think about money in my account. No, it's just an electronic record that is calculating plus and minus and see how much is your balance. That's all. People still think in cash in their minds. Yeah. So we need to overcome the way we think about value, the way we think about money. We need to start calculating it as value that we are generating from work, from business. What is the balance we have that was coded and where you want to, want to get that they recorded? You want to get it recorded here and there. The bank itself doesn't matter. 
but we are not there perceptionally yet. I, I want to ask you what uh, <laughs> what financial literacy means to you. I think you touched on a couple of concepts that tie into that definition, or maybe I'm just guessing at your definition, but financial literacy, yeah. like what does that mean to you and how important do you think that is for the average individual? It's very important, uh, but financial literacy, it's still uh, based on the history of how money was uh, created. I, I have an article that uh, I mentioned, I think, in one of our uh, conversations. I have an article about payments operations. And in the article, I mentioned that the first, uh, like thousands of years ago, the first writing system was actually an accounting system right. for merchants to see how much money they owe each other. And what they did is with a small like uh, uh, rocks, they were marking. Uh, and the marks were about how much money you got or how much money you owe. Mm -hmm. And that's the only thing they were doing. They didn't have language letters. It was all about numbers, about quantities, not numbers, even quantities. Now, this didn't change till today. That tablet from thousands of years ago <laughs> is exactly what we have today. Okay? Uh, and the history of money having first sold and then gold to represent the value because it was about what is more valuable. Salt was very valuable at the time. So salary comes from salt, that you are getting salt. Yes. Oh. You are paid with salt. That's salary. Uh, so uh, salt was very valuable. So you got salt as a way of trade. You paid with salt. You can use salt to buy something. Uh, then other uh, precious, uh, you know, metals like uh, gold, etc., or diamonds, I don't know, later maybe. But that concept disappeared decades ago. Today, we are only having electronic coding about what we generated with our uh, work, like uh, how much hours of work, X dollars. So that is just recorded electronically somewhere. And it says how much we can use from that code to buy something that is a real product. And that person will get part of that code to sell as a product or service, doesn't matter. That didn't change in the perception of people yet. So the literacy today is all based on, on one side is the part, the important part, like credit, loans, that's very important. If you get value before you created it, you will pay interest, you know, things that people need to understand to manage better their finance. Uh, you know, when uh, when interest is calculated uh, over time, that is not what you think. It's not just you, ask, you add a 10% to whatever uh, you owe and that's what, no, no, no. It's like every month and on top of what you already owe. So it's much more than you think. That's important. But on the other side, it's also important to separate the concepts of money we had before to the concept of money that we should have today. Mm -hmm. Because that concept is not real anymore. Our monetary system used to be balanced by the quantity of gold the government had in a, in a safe. Yeah. You know, and then you know how the value of that currency according to actual value you have is physical value. The moment that changed and our perception didn't. <laughs> so we are teaching yeah. our kids what we knew and what our parents knew, our grandparents knew, and even their grand-grand-grand accent ancestors knew. Money didn't 
didn't become electronic yet in the minds of people, not a, not in the technology. In the minds of people. Yes. So it's a generational change that you need to make mentally to stop talking about money as a real thing. That was really well put. <laughs> And like you said earlier as well, um, it is a generational change. So the generations that are coming up now, not only have they lived in the internet, and sometimes you've seen those, we've seen those memes on the internet where they're t touching a book with a stick because they don't know what a book is. Everything is digital. And for them, the concept of money is also digital because they've never probably had to go to a bank apart from creating a bank account. Uh, you know, for sometimes when people are very young, yeah. their kids create the bank account, they might not even remember it. Yeah. So that's pretty fantastic. Um, so what message would you have for our listeners when it comes to how payments and cryptocurrency are related? What I think that the, our new generations say, I, I look at, of course, my daughter and others, that even, even your generations, yeah. uh, they, are, they are creating value in ways that my generation didn't know. Okay. And sometimes even laugh at, and not, not for a real reason. You see, for example, likes, follows, uh, any points you can get in a game. Mm -hmm. Everything can be value. Yeah, those are currency in a way. <laughs> in a way. And actually much more than in a way, because if you can trade it, it's currency. You can buy and sell it. It's currency. It's, it's something that you can use as currency, not that it's currency, but you can use as currency. So it's not yet there, but that generation understands much more the concept of value as something that you can measure and trade and not as a currency that you need a paper behind it to know how much is that. So I think that this blending is coming in, it's not yet there, but sometimes disruption doesn't happen at once the, so fast as we expect, but it can happen. You, you never know which exact process may change it completely. Mm -hmm. So it's not always happens. Sometimes we expect it and it's nothing and, it, and you see another generation doing the same. But it's not always like that. Sometimes the disruption happens at once and you say, oh, that was what we were missing. Mm -hmm. That piece that we didn't think about and that changed completely everything. So I think that the conversion, mental conversion and our perception of money to that electronic recording that is actually the, the way that it's already working and we don't, don't notice so much is what that new generation or the newer generations can grasp very fast and make that change happen because they were already expecting it. Mm -hmm. And that will change also for payments because the moment you don't see payments as uh, your money in your bank account that was deposited from your payroll to use some instrument like a card or an application to pay for, you know, for a product or service. But as a transfer of, of, a, of a record, electronic transfer of a record, and something that is just a code, and that code could come from your day job 
or what you are doing in the internet to create value and it's the same type of value that you are creating everywhere. This has less value maybe, this has more value maybe, but still it's just value generated. And you can aggregate all that into any storage you want and distribute from that storage any way you want to anyone. Then the, the barriers fall. The problem right now with the barriers is that value generated today that the world considers as value is the currency, the local currency being deposited in a bank account, perception, okay? And you as an individual thinking, nice that you have a cryptocurrency, but I have my money in my account, that's money, that's not, wait, how you decide what's money and what's not is because I can use it. That's the only reason that's money and that's not is because I can use it. Anything could be money if I can use it. Salt was money. <laughs> okay, salt was money. Would you consider money today salt? No. I can I go with a package of salt and say, sell me something? No. So it's not that the money is something uh, that is fixed, that is always the same, but you say, no, money is only the currency that the country decided to issue. Sorry. But salt was money and no one was issuing it. <laughs> and money was also some, you know, clay that they have the stamp of a king or... So it's more about what you consider value and what you can trade. And, and that's, that's the essence of money. Yeah. And literacy today is still too much based on knowledge that is important to have. You, know, you need to know the history of money and value and it's good to know how, why people created those bills that were called money, and, but that's history. We need to already start talking about electronic value and how that is uh, traded and distributed. And that is not yet in the literacy. Wow. That's what we lack. Really well put. If you were to give a message to generations that are, well, older than our generation and ones that trust um, trust something when they can physically touch it and feel it and feel like that is more valuable. What would be a simple message that you could give to them to um, make them think about how they perceive value? Well, I think that they, uh, they are already getting that lessons from, mm -hmm. the, from, from, from what they are seeing happening to the new generations. Yeah. They still feel not connected to it. But they cannot ignore that the new generation has created new ways to, uh, for example, uh, employ themselves in ways that you could never think of. Mm -hmm. Employ yourself as influencer. Employ yourself uh, by having the right uh, Instagram account or Twitter or Facebook, etc. There are ways that they didn't perceive as value before and they may have even laughed at. And suddenly you see that these people, this generation, in certain ways is more successful than yours. So the lesson is being there already. They are getting that lesson. Mm. But as all the generations like mine, all the older generations, we are not the ones who need to change. It, it happened already. We were there. We were already the leaders mm -hmm. of the world. We are not anymore. It's the younger generation, the one leading the way. 
So the only thing that we can be is, yes, we, we still create companies, we manage companies, we, we bring new technologies, it's not that we are dead, but we don't really lead the way anymore. Mm-hmm. We sometimes put barriers to the change, <laughs> but we don't really are the change. It's the new generations that are leading it. And I think that the, our, uh, our role is to be enablers to help them get there and uh, do it the right way, not to tell them what's the right way. Right. So it's more about not putting barriers and helping that happen. Uh, and I see the, the, the change as a, as a good thing, the positive thing. I think that the new generations are much more responsive to their environment, to what is a real value to what is a community or looking more about others than what was my generation or the older one. So that that for me is a positive. They still have a lot to learn, of course, but they, we are there for, for that, not for, for telling them what to do. Right. So I guess your, your message is do not be barriers, but be enablers instead, because you have finished leading the way when you were essentially a couple of generations yes. or our age or yes, in our age. Exactly. Thank you for that <laughs> message. That's a really great message once again. Okay, last question. Cryptocurrency, is it here to stay? Like the internet. Oh, yeah. Uh, once uh, I, I was there when they said that uh, it disappeared, okay? <laughs> uh, it will stay. It doesn't mean that it will be exactly the same as is today. Uh, I think that Bitcoin was a great uh, experiment that had a lot of flows as a system, not the, that the, the, as a concept. As a system, it has a lot of flows, you know, velocity or a lack of a, a timestamp or a lot of things that you actually need for certain systems, financial systems. But that was created a movement. And that movement created new systems. And those new systems are now bringing new standards and creating new and new technologies are also becoming better. I don't think this is the, the the last word was said. It never said the last word. The same as the internet. We when we talk that Alta Vista is the is there and that's the last one. Uh, of course, Google erased them completely. <laughs> Yahoo was for sure the king. Where is Yahoo or AOL or a lot of systems back then? So it's an evolution in that sense. The revolution happened, but didn't uh, was not noticed fast enough. Now it's an evolution. So the systems may change. The cryptocurrencies uh, may disappear and appear over time. They may be disrupted themselves, but not as a concept, not as cryptocurrency. It's a, it's a specific ones that you can say, I have no idea what will happen with them and which system will replace them and which will be the best. Because as difference from regular currencies, you don't have a country or a large system depending on them. It's their users. So it may happen that a new system comes and take all the users because it's much better or give them more value, and this may disappear. Uh, there is no bureaucracy to make it like uh, stay there even you know if that has no value or something. So I think that 
cryptocurrencies as the internet back then when people were already deciding it doesn't exist are here to stay. The only thing we don't know is how they will look in terms of which systems will survive, which ones will actually become the mainstream and which currencies will be, if it will be currencies or currency or, you know, a lot of things that we don't know exactly how that will evolve. But electronic value, if we call it in a way that is like electronic value, that is what people will trade with and create and generate and record and store, is what will exist already in a primitive way, in certain ways, and but it's what will stay. It's the only way to trade and record the value, it will be electronically. So the systems will become better. And the way that people are translating that value into currencies is what uh, we don't know how it will look. Mm. And different also researchers are, are checking exactly that. On, how will that currency look, if it will be a currency at all? Definitely some, some food for thought <laughs> in that answer. <laughs> Pretty fantastic. Alicia, Ishman, uh, Roisman. Oh gosh. Roisman. Roisman. Ismash. Ismash. <laughs> Spearheading the fintech industry in Atlantic Canada, everyone. Where can people find you if they want to message you? In Venn Innovations website, you will find uh, all my information. And of course, they can ask me any question, email me, and uh, we can also have a chat over uh, Zoom or coffee. I'm here. And the uh, fintech is really passion, so it's not about the day job that you need to come with to me with a proposition or something like that. It's just something that they really live daily and, and passionate about. So anything that is fintech related, and fintech is uh, defined by any technology solution uh, that is related to the digitalization of the financial industry. So it's not a payment system, and it's not only about the money, currency deposits, uh, you know, credit loans, etc. It's also on the backend systems that help the financial industry become more efficient and the, the systems that you need to develop in order to use that value or currency to deliver a service. So it's everything that is uh, the digitalization of the financial industry is related to FinTech. Mm -hmm. Regulatory speaking, protection speaking, like security, uh, efficiency speaking, and of course, transfer of value, that is what we call normally payments. Uh, everything is fintech, so th those are the topics that uh, make my, my day. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, you heard it from Alicia itself, and if there was anything to prove um, her passion for fintech, it was the podcast that we just recorded, so you know where to find her. And stay tuned for our next podcast. Thanks for listening.